This is Rafi from the future talking now. Welcome to the Randin podcast. You're just about to listen to one of our first ones. The audio quality on this is pretty bad and we also have no idea what we're doing. So after about episode three, we tend to figure it out. But whilst you listen to these first couple of ones, just keep that in mind and don't judge us too harshly. Thanks for listening. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of Randint with Ravi and Chandra. So this one is a bit of a update on episode one because it was widely seen as pretty bad. That was the aim. Always try to make things that you're ashamed of. That's my goal. Well, yeah. Well, it was. It actually was because um, it was a long weekend. If we didn't start it then, then this wouldn't have happened. So there's that. Exactly. This is definitely not a plug for easy second content. No, <laughs> not that. It actually was really good feedback. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay. So what feedback did we get? So let's going through on that. Number one was don't eat while recording. Oh, no. I'm thirsty. Hey, we've done that. Uh, supposedly, it was a relaxed atmosphere. This is a bit tense, i got to say. It's echoey. The spider's outside. We're in the log well, cabin. They could be outside. They could be inside. <laughs> the surprise! There's one on your bed. But more about that in the next episode. So this is 1.1. Next one's going to be 2. We'll talk about that then. Uh, it was a fun conversation. It was meandering and didn't have a point. Well, yeah, that's kind of what Randy was meant to do. If you came to a random podcast and look for a point. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, but we are spending season one getting to a format and hopefully rambling a bit less. Explain a bit more. This was probably the biggest point to actually go back to. Intro was bad. Explain what an opt-out is, what research. Yep, cool. We're going to get to that. Uh, so on with the show. So first of all, reason for the podcast. Hmm. What was your uh, motivations for agreeing to this, apart from me nagging for like weeks? A lot of nagging combined with why not, plus seems like an interesting thing to have a chat with some friends. Yeah, yeah. But anything specific you wanted to get out of it? No, I just wanted to see what it would be like to do a podcast, what it would be like to get better at speaking, and also... Now added to the list is storytelling. I want to get better at that. Oh, yeah. So for me, podcasts were, uh, it's kind of like I started an email newsletter as well not that long ago. So I had all these random ideas watching other people start these things. And I actually quite enjoy them. Just what, listening to Tim Ferriss and Noah Kagan and like Chase Jarvis. All those ones are really interesting. I actually look forward to listening to it, uh, it just seems like a conversation between two people, but there's obviously more to it because there's bad podcasts as well, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what's what. So I thought the best way to learn how to do anything is, or to figure out even the intricacies of what makes it, it's kind of like if, you, if you're an artist, when you go look at art, you appreciate it so much more than someone who kind of goes good, bad. So it gives you True. like a finer definition of what good, yeah, bad you is. appreciate what goes into making a good one. Yeah, or like, you know, you kind of go, that was a really tricky question and like interviewing. I generally don't do public speaking and this seems far easier because I'm speaking to a mic, well, into a laptop at the moment with a camera. And a camera. <laughs> That's two things. Yeah. Two publics. 
yeah, well, this is true, but it's, there's not a crowd here, you know? Um, so it was A, that, B, get better at storytelling, or actually it's more better at finding directed questions and guiding people to the bit of info. Because if you think about it, like we're both medical, so when you take a referral, you listen, and then you ask some very pointed questions to get to what you actually want to know. So, this is true. You need to get the information you need so you can go back to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, you'll commonly get a specialist like phone calls from junior staff going, hey, what do I do about X, Y, or Z? Um, and it really depends on a few key pieces. They're trying to summarize a lot of info, but you probably need two or three. So you get very good at asking specific questions. But outside the context of our specialty, that's pretty hard. So I want to get good at that. Uh, and also, I specifically didn't want to do anything. So a lot of people are like, oh, pick a topic and talk about it. I'm like, I don't actually want to do that because... So much of what we do, like you with your coding and your research and stuff, we're going to get to, and my clinical work is very topic-based. Like you just have to be the subject matter expert. So hence, I wanted something random where we could just come up with a segment, do it, and focus more on being entertaining and easy to digest and communicate clearly rather than go, here's in-depth how anesthetics work. Like we have to do five years of exams for this. Like it would be boring as much. <laughs> and I think the part of the fun is it is random, so we'll just see where it ends up. Yeah. Okay. So for you, what the hell is an ophthal? What's well, the everybody knows. Ophthal. <laughs> well, it's the thing that nobody can spell for a start. All right, spell it. <laughs> it's really hard, so I'll skip that. <laughs> so what's ophthal the full, yeah. What's ophthalmologist the... is the full word. Yeah. So basically it's somebody, it's a medical doctor who specializes in the eye and we're the ones who do surgery on the eye uh, and diagnose and treat a bunch of different eye conditions. Uh, so what's the difference between that and an optometrist? So we work together with the optometrists. They tend to do a bit more of the glasses prescribing and now they're helping us uh, see and diagnose conditions as well. Um, but they tend not to do the starting and whole management of medical conditions. Uh, and we've been through medical school, so we're able to sort of tie things in together with other systemic diseases of the rest of the body as well. And we get to do surgery. What does that mean? What does a systemic so disease Systemic means other full body conditions. There's a whole bunch of conditions where, for example, that? if you have diabetes, we can actually see that inside the back of your eyeball. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other conditions like that where the eye literally is the window to the rest uh -huh. of the body. <laughs> ah, <laughs> <thank> God. <laughs> All right. So, so that's people, what an ophthalmologist is. Are you, and, and as you alluded to last time, you're not doing any clinical ophthalmology. <laughs> well, you know, define clinical ophthalmology. <laughs> like <laughs> touching <laughs> a patient in any way, shape, or form. Eh, you know. <laughs> so this last year, uh, I've been doing my fellowship, which is basically the sort of end of your training. And... What I've chosen to do is a research year where basically I started my year, my, it was supposed to be a year over at Stanford University. Um, but you know, this pandemic thing kind of happened. So plans change. So I'm still officially working as a visiting scholar at Stanford, which basically means that I do research related things at Stanford and uh, I get to sort of go and check out all the different classes and things there. Um, planning work. to head back, but you know, who knows when at the moment can go to cafes here, can't go to cafes there. 
So, you know, not much point doing Zoom meetings over there. So has it affected your research, the whole COVID thing? Well, my research was basically doing uh, a whole bunch of different AI, so artificial intelligence in medicine, well, specifically in ophthalmology projects. Um, so, for example, if you take a picture of uh, the a patient, the back of a patient's eye, and uh, one of the projects was using a smartphone, so use your phone to take the picture off the back of the eye, uh, can you detect and diagnose diabetic retinopathy? So I built a and coded a model which can do that with uh, just as much accuracy as uh, a doctor can. Hang on. Coding, is that what you do in ophthalmology school? Well, that is part three of <laughs> what I do. <laughs> but uh, most of my year has been doing basically research in that area. So a whole bunch of different types of AI and uh, spent the year sort of, you know, also learning how to code because the other thing I like doing is making stuff. Um, and I want to tie that together with how I practice medicine, which is to try to make things which are going to improve the way that medicine can be practiced. Um, and to do that, I wanted to learn how do you make things, uh, especially in code. I like the software world. I like digital health. And uh, I wanted to see how do you, and I wanted to be able to code things myself uh, because if I can make things myself, then I'll be able to work with others to understand just how that works. Ooh, we have lights. Yeah, so this oh, is a... That's bright. <laughs> yeah, but it's like not as bright as turning on these normal lights. Uh, so in the wood cabins, as mentioned before, and it's getting dark. <laughs> and uh, I know, we can't turn on the lights. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, this one, so the whole thing was yesterday, we turned on the lights and all these moths got attracted to outside the cabin. And literally the cabin was swarming with spiders on the outside. <laughs> and we were petrified that there was, there was someone gonna, somehow going to sneak in. Yeah. So this one is far away. My AI model does not find spiders. <laughs> Uh, so that's cool. what that's the basic three things of I. I'm an ophthalmologist, so look after eye diseases. I do AI stuff in ophthalmology, and I like uh, startups and making things. Oh well, there's also the photography stuff and everything else. There's about fifteen other things too, but let's start with number three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go with what's an anesthetist. Uh, uh, so anesthetist or anesthesiologist, if you're American. Uh, is also one of those hard to spell words. I've got it written out in front of me, so it just wouldn't be fair if I spelled it out. Uh, basically, we're also doctors who got through med school who uh, you'll probably remember as the person giving you an injection, getting you to, well, I don't do it ever, ever but people seem to like counting back from 10 and passing out Four, for surgery. Three, uh, two, so my, one. how would I describe it to my mum? My mum thought that I literally go there, kind of held someone's hand, inject something, then walk off and wander the corridors. Like literally what she said last week. also gets coffee. <laughs> so our job, so two different descriptions. One, which is American, which I'll get to secondly, but the first one is one of my first consultants who taught me basically said, Anesthetics is like, uh, you know, like when you go to a high-end restaurant and you give the valet the, car, the keys to your car and you walk away and you go enjoy your meal. So anesthetics is like that. You come in for surgery, you give the keys to your body to someone else and you have a nice long sleep whilst we do the operation. And what it was meaning by that, it took me a while. It was like, it's not like I'm driving the body anywhere. <laughs> um, is that you, you get, get to... Huh? You get tips. Yeah, the basics of it are that you get to control everything from the heart rate, how quickly your lungs are 
um, breathing to how much blood pressure is circulating around. So all the functions that your body normally does when you wake automatically tends to shut down when you're, or well, it doesn't shut down, but it becomes less effective under an anesthetic. Because if you think about it, if you're just asleep, which everyone kind of equates it to, if someone came at you with a knife and jabbed you, you'd kind of wake up and whack them, right? But you don't tend to do that to the surgeons. So just imagine how much drugs you need for that to not happen. Um, and basically at that stage, you start getting side effects of all these drugs, such as hypotension, so low blood pressure or low heart rates. And also you want to wake up not screaming in pain because someone's literally jabbed you with a knife all over your body. Um, so we control the pain relief and essentially we look after the first 24 hours of pre, intra and post-op. So, uh, around the operation. So preoperatively, we kind of, we're just talking about this before. We basically screen patients to think, are they high or low risk? Or is there anything we can do to make them safer for the operation? During the operation, we look after you. There's any sort of resuscitation or anything like that that needs to happen. That's there. Also like, you know, trauma calls, et cetera, depending on which hospital you work at. If there's a car accident and someone's mangled, we help stabilize all those things. And afterwards, looking after the pain management side of things and uh, immediate complications. And during COVID, it's been interesting. So we've been part of the intubating teams who go around tubing all the COVID people. So uh, been pseudo frontline, not quite frontline as ED, but as emergency, uh, but getting there. Uh, so the ICU and emergency often call us to intubate to put the breathing tubes into really sick patients as well when they come in, if they think they're going to be tricky to do. Um, so that's my clinical hat. No, the American ASA, so American Society of Anesthetists, the, their president once in the news basically said, what's the difference between an anesthetic and a, um, and, and a lethal injection? And the answer was nothing. There's just an anesthetist present when you're having surgery, which is kind of true. If you look at the drugs. You wake up on the other side. <laughs> well, but the, the function of it is like, you know, they use bio or propofol now because the propofol is the most common one to get you off to sleep. Uh, it's the one that Michael Jackson was using with a cardiologist. Probably not a good idea. Um, but the. an anesthetist. Well, someone who does airways regularly, you know. Um, but the basic principles are of a lethal injection are make you asleep, make you relaxed, and then stop your breathing. And that's kind of the cocktail. So you use midazolam to make you relaxed, propofol or thio to get you off to sleep. And they use Attrac or one of the old ones, but you know, one of the muscle relaxants that actually paralyzes you so that your reflexes don't keep going off. So it's quite annoying for surgeons if they go to operate and your leg reflexively tries to move away from it. Makes um, hard. Even if you're asleep, these things happen, as you can attest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the difference is that once we give you those drugs, unlike an illegal injection, we look after the airway, we put the reading tube in, and we control those things. If you leave it uncontrolled, you tend to die. Uh, so that's where I come in for uh, as an anesthetist. Um, other hats that I wear are in the department that I work. As I was mentioning before, I am the IT guy. So it involves not quite like nowhere near your level of AI expertise, but um, if we can, so I'm going to be like, you're going to be teaching me some of the Python stuff so that I can automate the mundane tasks around the department. And there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of medicine's really slow to change. So like you, but in a department setting is what I'm trying to do is change medicine slowly for the better. But once you're in the system, it's actually much, much slower than just stepping outside and doing it his way. Um, so it's automating all the boring things like even timesheets, like we had to change it to an online PDF and that's been a three month ordeal that I don't quite understand. But uh, and on a side note, if anybody's interested in learning to code to automate stuff, look at a book called 
automate the boring stuff. Would recommend. Yeah, that's uh, that one's pretty good. Um, so that's my other hat in the department, and like we're rolling out a new app for communication. So we kind of beta test everything, figure out uh, how to deploy it the easiest way to the department. So a recent example was Zoom before it became the sensation during the pandemic. Two years ago, we were implementing Zoom. So the problem is that most of the software has 101 different features and that's all fine. But when you have an organization of like 10,000 people, uh, you've got varying levels of tech expertise. So it's essentially boiling it down to what do we actually want from something, making the most basic instruction set, making sure that's deployable across the entire network, like based on what computer they're using, what different hardware they're using, testing it all out, going, yep, here's like five steps. That's all you need. There's other buttons. If you know, you know, but so that's kind of my role is to find the minimum viable thing to get it working for most people because otherwise you just get complaints like this is broken or I wanted to do this. So there's all these fringe cases, but the basics work 95% of the time. And that's kind of my job in the department is to take a piece of software, find the 90% mark, roll it out to most people, and then I'll help implement like the ones that need the edge cases, I'll go and help them. Uh, so that's my department role outside of that. Photography, so I run Photos by Rafi, which is an Instagram page and a blog and shop with jigsaw puzzles and calendars and other random stuff that we did on Kickstarter. Um, and I started an email newsletter. So this was just all tinkering, kind of like Chandra, I like making things too. But because I work essentially full-time clinically, I just don't have the time to, like coding is very interesting and I'd love to learn more. It's just considering it requires a lot of brain power to learn a new skill, I just haven't had the time. Which is why he's going to stop working clinically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, once I retire. Um, so that's us. So what else did we have? Uh, oh, yeah. So everyone was also going, hang on. You went on a kayaking trip <laughs> and you had like two lines, like potty. <laughs> So I'm going to put on my interviewer hat. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. And you get to tell us a few more details about it. So let's recap. You and friends. Yeah. So me and a couple of friends were on a kayak trip. And uh, basically it was a long week. It was a weekend trip. Uh, it turned out there was about a whole day involved before going which was picking up kayaks and working out how to secure them to a trailer. <laughs> that was literally a whole day of tying kayaks to a trailer. What's so hard about it? Again. So it turns out if you tie them up one way, it seems like they're not going to fall off, but then they kind of look like they're about to fall off. And so then you have to keep trying again and again until you work out how to do it. And since none of us have ever tied a kayak to a trailer before, it took a little while. <laughs> Anyway, we eventually got there. Uh, it was up north from, it was near Wangaratta. There was a, a river there. Um, and none of us are, are really kayaking or camping people, but it seemed like a good idea to get in a kayak, uh, float down the river for a while, camp, and then keep kayaking. <laughs> Seems like a good idea at the time. Turned out it was uh, really good because we got really lucky with the weather. It was perfect, nice weather. The water level was great, so it meant there was enough water that you didn't have to walk the whole way. That's important. Oh, as in like the kayak stuff? Yeah, if it's completely dry, you can't go anywhere. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't so full that there wasn't any fun bits. So because it was 
Hang on, what? Because there's only a little bit of water, you still get branches and sticks and stuff sticking out the water, which you kind of got to dodge. And you get like little areas of rapids and things, which actually make it kind of interesting. You don't get that when there's too much water? Well, in the sections which had lots of water, basically the whole thing is fairly calm and there's oh, nothing to hit. Okay. So eh, it's also nice, but it's more peaceful nice as opposed to doing things nice. What about the other way, like if you had more water, more fast? Yeah, rapids. no, what you want is stuff sticking out of the water to make it interesting. Yeah, like those <laughs> branches you're saying. So what was it with the branches? So turns out the all of the branches along the way have spider webs and spiders in them, which is fine because you just go around them. But then there's some sections where you can't dodge them. <laughs> and so you end up with a kayak full of spiders that you have to shoot out. <laughs> Just so you're the reason this log cabin is covered. <laughs> yeah, I think I brought them with me from the kayaking trip. Uh, but it was really good. We managed to find a campsite where um, there was a, a few campsites which were accessible by car. And it was because it was school holidays weekend, they were really busy. But there was one which was only accessible by kayak. And so we had the whole site to ourselves. Um, it's beautiful, nice and quiet. So, so what exactly, like I've never been to one of these campsites. What does it look like? Mm. So basically it's the bank of the river. Yeah. Uh, there's just some grass there. And that's about it. Not much more. But so it's a little like, clearing basically. So they just chopped down a few trees and left it as grass? Pretty much, yep. Like anything else to designate? Like how do you know that was the campsite? Uh, Google Maps suggested it. <laughs> well, there's and, no uh, sign officially, thing. Uh, don't think we saw a sign, but um, on so some you of the found, camping... like, random patch <laughs> well, on the side of the river. On some of the like... camping maps, it said that's a campsite. So we were like, cool, that'll do. Uh, there was an old fire pit that somebody else had stayed there as well, which was quite handy since we didn't have to build a fire pit ourselves. Okay. All right. So, so the highlights seemed like everything was a highlight. What are the yeah. bad stuff? Well, the annoying part of it is, uh, yeah, one, when you are trying to dodge stuff, you don't always dodge it perfectly. <laughs> Thankfully, I managed to stay in my kayak the whole time. This was not true of the entire group. <laughs> um, Hang on, but was it deep enough? Could they just stand up? Yeah, most of the time you can just stand up. How uh, do you get back into the kayak? Yeah, with a bit of difficulty. <laughs> so it depends on where it is specifically. But you can pull yourself back up onto the kayak, but some of the water where it's flowing a bit fast, you kind of got to go to a better area to get on. But most of the time where you fall off is where you're crashing into things. And so usually there it's pretty uh, shallow, so you can just stand up, get back in, keep going. Some of the other annoying things are though when there's a big tree that's fallen all the way down. And so then you literally have to, there was a couple of spots at the end where we had to try to climb onto a tree in the oh. middle of the river, grab your kayak, pull it over, and then jump on the other side. So that yeah, was a bit harder. Got good at like climbing in and out by the end then. Yeah, but then you have to dodge everything on the trees too. <laughs> that was after finding a snake on the way. Huh? Yeah, there's also water snakes, it turns out, on the way. Yeah, someone was saying <laughs> snakes never swim. Yeah, they can't swim. That's all right. <laughs> uh, righty. Did you encounter so snakes, spiders, any other wildlife? What are the insects like? Okay, I assume uh -huh. it's going to be smelly flies. Well, we had 80% DEET, the okay. maximum strength DEET. <laughs> and uh, like... this is like, you know, the industrial strength bug killer stuff. Oh, okay. So we just slathered in that. And it actually worked? Yep. It was actually really good. Slathered that everywhere. And um, yeah, no bugs. Like, what, even on the kayaks? 
on the hats on us. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Fair enough. Would recommend. And so, how tired were you at the end? Like, is this like a you do that and then you sleep for like four days afterwards kind of? Yeah, surprisingly, it's pretty good because even though you're taking all of your camping gear and food and everything, it's a kayak, so you know it floats. You don't really have to. Yeah, worry too much about packing too much. Oh, yeah. I suppose you're going downstream. Yeah, we go downstream, so you know use the force <laughs> but uh it's actually not too bad because you can paddle as hard as you want but none of us are really in a rush so leisurely pace uh though you have to paddle a little bit faster when you're trying to not crash into things that's about it hang on going back to the snake it was just there it's fine it's a snake it's not nothing bad like following you along yeah no i was like i think God, it crammed back up onto a branch as we went past so She'll be it's right. like from the water. It like jumped up onto the branch. No, no, it like slid it away. So it was on the bank. It was yeah, in the yeah, water. Exactly. Oh, it's okay. all good. It's all good. I thought it was like there's a snake swimming <laughs> along next to you. Yes, we were paddling. Going. We found it on the oar. <laughs> oh, I'm just imagining like you know you're going. There's a river. There's a snake going past. You know, waving hi. How's the kayak? <laughs> How's the kayak situation? And I curl up in the foot of it. Thankfully, we went swimming in the river the day before, so then it's fine. We didn't see any snakes before that. It's so like we that, assume there aren't any. It's like that spider that we saw yesterday that you can't see now next year. Yeah, he's not there, so he's not there anymore, so it's fine. If uh, Chandra is no longer alive tomorrow, you'll know what happened. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, that's uh, that's actually longer than uh, our initial episode. Well, that's a long-ass podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 25 minutes, and that's all your feedback that we had, amongst others that I'm not going to go into because that would require changing the format, and that's just not random enough. Anyway, this to say, we're taking your feedback on board. We're still going to keep it random, so tune in next time. It'll be a proper episode with more potatoes. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> Hello. This is a message. I'm going to send this message to ourselves, just to see how this works. Okay, now. Bye-bye.